This morning's reading is from Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 to 24. Um, the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted in readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Well, thank you, Val. Uh, one thing I failed to mention earlier is the Christmas trees out in the foyer. And please feel free to put one of the decorations out of the box on there. It's nice to do that together uh, as a congregation. Well, let's pray. And we're going to finish up our series uh, this morning in Ephesians. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, you have called us to stand firm and that you give us your armour in order to do that and that you call us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Father God, Thank you that you have equipped us with the capacity to come to your word now because you have given us the Holy Spirit. And so, Father God, we pray your Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, will convict our hearts of your truth. Give us great encouragement as we face a battle ahead. And Father God, we pray that this morning you will be honoured in all that we talk about. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, currently in the world, there are 18 wars being fought, uh, which have all had over a 1,000 deaths in the last year. There are also 37 other recognised conflicts in the world. Last century, the 20th century, there were over 108 million people killed because of war. Now, the combined military of the world has over 20 million people. China has 2.8 million people in their military. The US, 1.3 million and uh, in Australia, 85,000 people. 
there's 195 countries recognised in the world at the moment, and only 31 of those have no military. And most of those have agreements with bigger countries in order to protect them. You see, in the past 3,400 years, research has shown there has only been 268 years where there hasn't been a war that has claimed over 1,000 lives. War has touched virtually every culture in every time period in some form or another. In the ancient world, in the biblical world, uh, kingdoms rose and fell just as quickly uh, as anything. Uh, famous rulers like Cyrus, like Alexander the Great, uh, like Julius Caesar, well, they're not really known for the peace that they brought, but for the great battles that they won. Statues, busts, monuments littered the ancient world. Uh, they still litter uh, the world in which we live in uh, as people have warred against each other and while there are seasons of peace. Uh, generally, the masses in the ancient world, as many countries today know, the next war is never far away. This week, we see tensions rising uh, with our own country and China, all through verbalisation and Twitter accounts and all these ridiculous ways of pride presenting themselves. So it should be no surprise that as we come to the end of Ephesians, Paul uses the imagery of a soldier in chapter 6 to help us understand who we are as Christians. See, he's described how we should be living holy and righteous lives uh, in unity with one another. And that unity is critical, particularly in the imagery of a soldier, a battle army. See, just like we're called the sheep and farmers and athletes, Paul says the Christian life is metaphorically like a soldier. Or does he? See, it would be so much easier today to think of this image of the Christian soldier as a metaphor. But that is not what is happening in our text this morning. We are not metaphorically being described as soldiers in a battle. We are being told... We are in a battle. And it is dangerous for us to discount that by believing that this is just an image or a metaphor that is happening. In fact, the passage begins in verses 10 to 12 uh, with this, and it's a call to battle. Paul, at the end of his letter, says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, Paul is finishing the letter the way he began the letter. By talking about the heavenly realms, if you cast your mind back to chapter 1, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He then goes on with this wonderful, massive sentence about what salvation and what it means to be in Christ is. And he took our focus to the heavenly realms, the bigger perspective. And now he's gone into the practical through the letter and he's coming and he's finishing 
back in reminding us that our battle is in the heavenly realms. Verse 10 tells us that we need to be strong and to call upon the Lord's mighty power for this battle. Not ours. Verse 11 reveals that our enemy is the devil. And against him we must take our stand. Some people say, well, it says, it says the authorities, uh, the powers of this dark world. And some people believe that we should be actively fighting just against the, the evil that is happening in the authority of humans. But what's happening here is that's a reflection of a much bigger battle going on. It is the devil's battle that is happening on a much broader scale in a darkened world and he's contrasting here because he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We have been called into a spiritual battle. It manifests itself in the physical but it is a spiritual battle. Verse 12 tells us that while this battle takes place in this physical reality which is evidenced by 108 million people being killed last year in war, it is ultimately a spiritual battle in the heavenly realms. This is a call to war. This is a call to battle, and we have an enemy. Well, on the 13th of May, 1940, during World War II, uh, Neville Chamberlain, who was the Prime Minister of England, had just resigned, and Winston Churchill, at the beginning of the war, had formed his government and uh, you may have heard this speech before, but in his first speech he said this, I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toils, tears and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? Well, I can say it is to wage war by sea, land and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalogue of human crime. This is our policy. And you ask, what is our aim? Well, I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be for without victory there is no survival. It was a call to battle. It was a call to war for his nation and in the same way Paul is calling us into a battle against the devil and his spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well having called us into battle then Paul goes on in verses 13 to 17 to tell us to prepare for this battle by putting on the full armour of God. Have a look at verses 13 to 17. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now we need to highlight what the purpose for this armour is what the purpose of this battle is. And it is to stand. Verse 11 says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, stand your ground when the day of evil comes. 
verse 14. Stand firm then. See, standing firm means that the enemy can't force you into a retreat. See, Winston Churchill called for a battle in order to go forward so that they can have victory. Well, I think some of the problems with understanding what our role is in this battle that gets preached in the Christian world is misunderstanding uh, what our purpose of this is. It is not to win victory. That's been won. That was won on the cross. Death has been defeated. 1 Corinthians 15.54 Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? I tell you, the enemy thought he'd won when Christ died on that cross. But when he was raised again to life, vindicating all that he had done, affirming him as the Son of God, as Messiah, the victory was won. So that the devil could never take that away again. And what happens when, when, when you win the victory of the war? Well, I can tell you there's a last stand by your enemy. They'll do everything to try to get that, part, that, that land back from you. To try to reclaim something. See, that's where we're at in this war. That's why he's saying stand firm. The devil's been disempowered. His army cannot defeat the army of the Lord. The army of the Lord has won the victory. And yes, there is a final victory to come when he's completely annihilated. But our role is to not give up ground, not retreat, and we put on the armour of God in order to do this. And notice that all these things have been given to us and won for by Jesus. Notice it is the armour of God. This isn't something that you create yourself. It is something which comes with your identity. When you were won back, when the victory was claimed for your life, you have been placed into the family of God, you fight for his kingdom, you have been given his armour. He says, just put it on. You don't need to create armour. It's been given to you. And he says, put on the whole armour. And that is critical. If you don't put your breastplate on, if you don't put your helmet on, if you don't put uh, your shoes on, if you don't, put, uh, you don't take your sword up, well, then you have a weakness. And where is the enemy going to hone in on? It will be the weakness. So this morning, we're going to now go and look at this armour and just make some observations about it. Now, I have no doubt you have heard this. If you've been in Sunday school from a child, you've seen this over and over and over and over again. Now, usually when you read commentaries or hear preaching, they will then bring you to all elements of the Bible to show how this all plays out. And I think that's a really important thing to do. 
But this morning, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick in Ephesians. We're going to make a few other references because we've been journeying on this road in Ephesians. And I think what Paul's doing with this, with this, with telling us that this is the armor of God, he is reinforcing in an imagery what he has already been telling us throughout the whole letter. This is the great finale of Paul in this letter. He is giving us something tangible and concrete to put into place for what he has been teaching us so far through this letter. And so let's look at the armour. Well, the first thing is the belt of truth in verse 14. Now let me read you from Ephesians 4 verse 15. It says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And then in 4.25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speaking truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. He is, the, see, the, the, the belt was central to, to the armour. In fact, it held a lot of it in place. And what he's saying, it's, it's twofold, I believe. Yes, there's the truth of the gospel that gives us the assurance and, 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 and gives us uh, the, the, the wholeness, if, if, if you like, of your life in Christ. But there's also this reality of uh, speaking truthfully. The life we are living in holiness and righteousness is the truthfulness in which we live. We put off falsehoods. And why is that? Well, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I can tell you, our enemy is the father of lies. You want to expose anything to the light? Well, Jesus tells us himself. Those who are doing evil do it in the darkness. They do it at night. You want to expose the, the truth of who the devil is and what his schemes are? Well, you bring it all to light. You want to live in the light? Then you live in truth. And I tell you, it disempowers the father of lies. The devil's lies are in complete contrast to our commander-in-chief, Jesus' truth. Now, if you don't put on this belt of truth, well, what's, what's the weakness? Well, I tell you what, it brings great problems within the church, that's for sure. People are trying to hide things. You're not confessing your sin. We're not coming in repentance. We're trying to be something that we're not. We need to expose all this, not so that we can bring each other down, but so that we can come in repentance and faith and find forgiveness. These are the things that Paul's been teaching us as we've been looking uh, through, the God, through his uh, letter. But there's the truth of the gospel as well. Now, I think the prosperity gospel is one of the, the, the great schemes of the devil. It takes all the glory from Christ and places it on us. It says your faith is the thing that is powerful. If you have enough, enough faith, then you will get all the blessings in the world. That's idolatry. We come with the readiness of Jesus' faithfulness, what has already been won for us, and the blessings that come that have been shown in the first chapter of Ephesians. Adoption as sons and daughters, a redemption. 
And when the gospel is distorted, well, the church opens itself up to idolatry and all the things which the devil loves. Well, the second thing we have there is the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14. If we go back to chapter 4 again, in verses 22 to 24, Paul said, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which was being corrupted by its evil desires, that's the way of the devil, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to, be put, on the new, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. Our brand names for our clothes are holiness and righteousness. He's saying put on the breastplate, the breastplate. It was the piece of armour that, that uh, protected all the vital organs. Now, some like to uh, bring the imagery in that, uh, well, it was only on the front, which means we have to continue to face the enemy. Well, the breastplate was probably at times on the back as well. I think that might be an overreach of the imagery, but it is a good image. Soldiers stood next to each other as one, and the breastplate protected their vital organs and the righteousness that we put on protects us, protects our heart because we are seeking holiness and righteousness rather than being corrupted by a deceitful desires. Put off the old self, put on the new. Don't live by the sinful nature, the flesh, but live by the Spirit of God. So the devil is the great tempter. Our enemy has one goal and that is to get you back out of that line from the front, to, take, to take, get you to retreat. His goal is sin, not righteousness. Now this week and for the last couple of weeks, if you've been reading the news, there's a pastor in the US, I won't publicly, you, you, you'll know who I'm talking about. He's known as the, I don't want to mention the denomination, he is known as the, the pastor to Justin Bieber. Anyway, he's, he's a celebrity pastor, effectively. You know, well-known, everyone loves him, great communicator, all this kind of stuff. Done great things for the, for the gospel and the kingdom. Well, it's just been exposed that he's been having multiple affairs. That he's been living the very life that he's telling other people not to live by. You see, when you, when you take off this idea of righteousness, when you take off your breastplate of righteousness, you open yourself up and your heart to living in the old self. Now, I'm not saying you do this by your strength because that is why it is the armour of God. In fact, the righteousness has been won for us by Christ on the cross. These all have these double-layered realities. You have righteousness because Christ won that for you. So put on righteousness. Because if you don't, the devil's schemes, his temptations, his lies, you are leaving yourself open to that. Practically, that might mean that you have to get some accountability into your life. You have to do some practical things. Do we still have forgiveness? Absolutely. 
But we are in a battle, and the devil is the tempter, and his goal is not righteousness, it is to bring you back to a life of sin. Well, the, the third thing is the half-boot of the gospel of peace. Now, the reason I'm saying half-boot is uh, soldiers in the Roman times needed to wear sandals or boots, and they were called the Roman, uh, I think it's Caliga, and it's a half-boot. They could advance towards the enemy undistracted about what they might step on. But it also gave them a lot of freedom in their shoes or their sandals to be able to, uh, to, to, uh, to, be able to move around. That was essential to their preparation. Now back in chapter 2, verse 14 to 17, Paul says, For he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law of its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile them both to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. Now this is critical to understanding the context here. It is a huge part of Paul's gospel and what it brings. Not just uh, peace with God, but peace with each other. We are no longer male, female, in the sense of spiritual, uh, spiritual identity. We're no longer Jew, Gentile, slave or free which is what Paul talks about in Galatians. We are one in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is that the thing that binds us is the gospel. And peace is what the gospel should bring to us. See, to stand firm as a church means to be unified in the Holy Spirit, in the gospel. The peace that has been won for us now, our church knows as much as any other church that if you have a weakness in that, then the hostility and the, the, the division, the conflict, the polarization, well, that comes quite quickly if you are not centered in the gospel of peace. If your purpose is not primarily all about the gospel, then you are going to be primarily after other things, building your church rather than the kingdom and proclaiming the gospel. See, the devil loves disunity. He's in there trying to create dissension amongst us. He wants you to start thinking, oh, what was that comment that the pastor made the other day? And instead of coming to me and saying, hey, look, you said this, and I'm very appreciative because since I've been here, people have come and asked me to clarify something I might have said. And what does that bring? That brings peace. Because in relationship, we can sit down and talk that through. Doesn't mean we have to agree on everything, no. But it brings relationship. But we do agree on one thing, and that is the gospel of peace. That's why I can go and have a good coffee and lunch with the Anglican guy over the highway. 
It's why there are things we can work together in. Now, we may have our differences and there may be lines in certain ways, but it does not change the fact that we are called to peace. And I tell you, if you don't deal with conflict early, well, you're giving the devil a foothold. Well, the fourth thing is the shield of faith in verse 16. Back in uh, chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray, this is Paul, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Pray for faith. See, to extinguish, and this is the context with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, to extinguish those arrows, you must have a deep-centered trust and faith in God's character and what he has done for you. As the accusations against him and against the church come, we know who God is and we know what he has done and we stand firm. We don't retreat. When Hitchens comes up with some wonderful philosophical arguments against Christianity, we stand firm. Ravi Zacharias and John Lennox, some great apologists in the Christian world, you know, they're, they're, they're gifted in being able to confront these things head on. Well, maybe you're not that gifted. But what you do know is what Christ has done for you, the promises that he has fulfilled. You know God's character. You know his love. Stand firm. Don't let the voices that are coming from the devil's world come in and give you that doubt. Stand firm on your faith. This goes right back to the garden. Eve has just explained to the snake... Oh, yeah, God said we can't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he said, surely you will die. What does, a, what does a snake say? You will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat it from your, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It's a lie. It's a distortion. It's an attack on the very character of God. Now today it might be, well, if God was good and he loves you, then why would he let COVID happen in the world? Why do good things happen, bad things happen to good people? Well, if you're centred in the gospel, you know exactly why bad things happen to good people. And that is because there is a fallen world in which God himself came in the flesh, died on the cross in order to redeem. He has proven his character. The shield of faith extinguishes the arrows that continue to come at us. We'll put on the helmet of salvation, number five. Helmets were the tough part. They were made from iron or bronze. It took a mighty blow with an axe or hammer to pierce them. They were protective, but they were also decorative. They identified you with your army. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul tells us to put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. 
So it refers to both our identity and the protection that is afforded to, our, to the very organ and, and, the, and the part of us that with one blow is going to be killing us. Back in chapter 1, verses 11 to 14, in that great exposition of what the salvation and the blessing in the heavenly realms is, Paul says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, a seal. You have been sealed by God's seal as his. The promised Holy Spirit is that seal, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See, the helmet of salvation is what you know is yours. It can never be taken away from you. But it also knows what's to come because you have that seal and you have a deposit guaranteeing it through the Holy Spirit. In Romans 1.8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The devil wants to undermine that. He wants to condemn you. But your helmet of salvation says, No, you cannot blow to my heart and my mind and take that away from me. My salvation assures me of what's ahead and assures me of who I am now, my identity and my, and my salvation, my hope in the future. Well, the sixth thing is the sword of the Spirit. Back in chapter 4, verses 11 to 14, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. So these are the gifts that are with the word, Remember I talked about the word gifts? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, the word for sword here is short sword. This is the sword you pull out when you're grappling at very close range. It's for close combat. Don't expect this to be some abstract reality in your life with the devil over there somewhere. He will be using the world to tempt you. In fact, when we go back to Luke 4, Jesus is taken out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit, we're told, led him out there. Now, the broader context is it's proving himself as the righteous one, the Messiah, the one who is without sin. So it's making that vindication. But in uh, Luke 4, verses 9 to 12, we're told this, the devil led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. And then the devil quotes scripture. 
He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Taken out of context, taken out of the biblical theology of the Bible, taken out of the character of God, it's a proof text to try to undermine the whole uh, nature of the Son of God. Well, what was the sword of the Spirit that Jesus pulled out? Verse 12, Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you know your scripture? When someone misrepresents it, quotes you, undermines it, you don't have to read very many books from the world these days to undermine the authority of scripture, to say, well, there's errors here and there's errors here, taking bits here, bits there, bits there. When I was in the Mormon church, they liked proof texting, bit of this, bit of that, bit of this. Oh, look, here's our doctrine. When I almost married someone from the Christadelphian church, Oh, look, proof text, here, 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 here. Here's our false theology. Are you able to stand firm and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't read Romans chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 without reading the next two chapters. Let's read all that together and let's talk about what the grace of God is. Let's talk about what it says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can't tell me that I can, be a, I can be perfect like Jesus and I can win my way to salvation. That is heresy. Don't use the text of the Bible like that. Can you recognize that? Can you discern that? Can you pull the sword of the Spirit out and grapple and put a big blow to their heart at that moment because you love the Lord your God and you value the Scripture and you have brought it into yourself so that you have the sword of the Spirit? Or is it that when you read something and it starts creating problems with your faith and you start doubting, where do you turn to? Do you pull this out? I remember up in Karatha, I'd never really thought much of it, but uh, there was a lady up there uh, who was suffering some postnatal depression. I was visiting her in hospital regularly. And she came through that, and it was a wonderful thing that she came through, and she went away for some intense treatment. And she came back, and in reflection, she said to me, you know what brought me great confidence and comfort when you visited me in hospital? You always had your Bible with you when you walked in. And you always opened it and read something to me. I hadn't really thought much of it. But as I walked into that hospital, I, I now think of this as, this is the sword. This is why I don't use my phone. I'm not saying you shouldn't use your phone. But I want to separate this from the rest of the stuff that's in Google, the rest of the stuff that's on the internet. This is the Holy Bible set aside. This is God's word, not the very commentary that's on it, but this is God's word. It needs to be separated. Holy means separate. This is the sword of the Spirit. Does that matter to you? Well, we've gone through uh, the, six, uh, the six different parts of the, uh, to the armour. I'm just going to finish really quickly here. But we've been called to battle. We've been given God's battle armour. And now we get given the plan. This vast plan that's now going to be laid before us. If you think about strategically thinking through battles, how are we going to win this battle? How are we going to do this? You would expect the next chapters to be a good 
150 chapters long to give us the battle plan? Well, have a look. Verse 18, and pray. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Isn't that remarkable? We have been given salvation. We have been given the armour of God, by God. And now he says, oh, and as you battle, come to me so that I can fight the battle for you. See, this is the, this is the critical element that we have to understand about our role in this battle. It is to stand firm. The Lord is the one that is going before us. Talk to him about his battle plan. Speak to him about what's going on for all the Lord's people, it says. Does he know all things? Absolutely. But he's a commander-in-chief that has an open door that you come to so that he can work out the battle plans and he figures it all out before us. Our job is to pray. In 2 Chronicles 20, the Moabites and the Ammonites came to wage war against Judah and Jerusalem. And, and God's people were all together gathered before the Lord. And we're told the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, as he stood in the assembly before the Lord. And then we're told he said this in verse 15. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. That should bring us great comfort. Because I know many of you and we all at some point will feel that the battle is a bit too much. We'll feel that our armour is weak. We'll feel that our strength just is depleted and completely gone. But here's the good news of the gospel of peace is that it's not your strength we're relying on. Your faith and how you feel is not what matters here. What matters is that you have been given the armour by the God who has saved you and he is going before you. And what does it say at the very beginning of this? Be strong in the Lord, in verse 10, and in his mighty power. Don't be strong in your own strength. So stand firm. Be confident. Do not let the fiery arrows deplete your faith. Regardless of how you're feeling right now, the one who is all-powerful is there ahead of his army. The promises are sealed. The promises are assured. He will take you there. Just stand firm. Don't give up on him. And hold firm to the salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the righteousness he's called you to, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. Put on the armour of God and pray, pray, pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful finish to Ephesians. And Father God, thank you that despite we are in a spiritual battle, we know that you have won victory. And that as we seek to resist temptation, as we seek to, uh, to put on this armor, Lord, help us to know that it's by your mighty strength that we can stand firm. Father God, you have taken all, all responsibility in many respects for the victory away from us. And we thank you for that. We thank you that in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can declare to all the devil's schemes, where is your victory, where is your sting? Because we are firmly founded on the salvation that comes in Christ. Father God, I pray for those who are feeling weak right now. I pray for those who are feeling that the armour may have weak chinks in it, may have areas which just feel like they're being attacked and bombarded. I pray that they will know that that armour is your armour and that they need to stand firm in your mighty power. Father God, I pray to, for you to encourage their hearts and just to help them not to shrink back. And Father God, I know there are many people in our church from past uh, experiences that are no longer coming here. And I pray, Lord, that you will help them to be revived and to put back that battle armour. And Father God, I pray that you will, you will help them to come back. Lord Jesus, we pray for those who, who have just shrunk back because they have been hurt so badly. I just pray that you bring them back, Lord. We pray for their hearts, we pray for their minds, and we pray that you will restore them and heal them and bring them into a full, a full life again with your people. So Father God, we commit all this into your hands and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.